Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Letter to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Um, How many of you, and it's been a long time since I've done this, but I'm just curious, how many of you at some point in the past have read Reader's Digest? Yeah, I found an old uh, little story that I couldn't resist sharing tonight. Uh, Somebody wrote in one time, one of those contributions, said our neighbor's cat was run over by a car, and the mother quickly disposed of the remains before her four-year-old son Billy found out about it. And after a few days, Billy finally asked about the cat, and the mom said, Billy, the cat died. But it's all right, he's up in heaven with God. Boy was quiet for a moment, and then he said, What in the world would God do with a dead cat? You think about that. Because tonight, what we're going to talk about is what in the world will God do with a dead church? Okay? Sardis was a church that was on life support, the church was about to die. And Jesus had some words for it. Um, Sardis, I want to give you a little background on the city, the community itself. It was a city with a golden past, uh, but because of the golden past, it had misplaced security. The gold in Sardis' past was reputed to extend back to King Midas. You've heard of him. He had the Midas touch. Um, However, there was a stream near Sardis that had gold dust in its silt. And so that was the golden age of, um, of uh, Cyrus. The story went that uh, King Midas was trying to rid himself of the golden touch because if everything you touch turns to gold, that would get old after a while because how are you going to eat gold? Uh, and so the story has that King Midas tried to wash it off in the springs that were somewhat near the community of Sardis. Uh, later, Sardis was the capital of King Croesus, whose wealth was also legendary. This king, uh, his reign ended with an event notorious as an example of misplaced security. You might say, how did he lose his uh, throne? Well, the forces of the Persian Empire pushed toward uh, his kingdom. Uh, Cyrus and his troops caught the king's army by surprise in the field of battle and besieged the city of Sardis. And the fortress of Sardis was surrounded on three sides by by cliffs. Okay, imagine that. A city surrounded on three sides by cliffs. So they thought no one can get us. Uh, And they even had a maxim to capture the Acropolis of Sardis. Uh, That was some impossible challenge people thought. But one historian recounts that on the 14th day of the siege, a few Persian troops climbed the cliff at one point where there was no guard station. And from there, there was no fear that they would ever be captured. They had no guard there. And so they climbed the cliff, they penetrated, and they captured the city. It fell into Persian hands. And uh, one ancient commentator blamed Sardis' tragic fall on lack of vigilance in its defense. Uh, Though the story was well known, the church in Sardis had not learned the same lesson of an old king. And that is to be vigilant and defend itself. You see, the dominant tone here as we read the scripture in a moment, the dominant tone of Jesus' words to this church in Sardis 
is a somber warning to a slumbering church. Let's look, if you will, in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will, never, I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, notice again, uh, in each of these letters from Christ to the church, he always has a reference to the vision of Christ in Revelation chapter 1. It's always a different aspect of the vision of Christ here. Uh, it points to the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That is how Christ is uh, identified and described in this letter to the church in Sardis. Um, this is a picture of him being our Lord. He is exalted. He is over all. And yet he is concerned with his people on earth. Notice he says, I know your works. And boy, he says that every time, doesn't he? I mean, only the Lord knows everything. He knows everything about us. He knows everything we've done. He knows the thoughts and intentions and attitudes of our hearts. Uh, and here he says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. I'll never forget the first time that I saw my grandfather wring a chicken's neck. Okay? And uh, <laughs> he wrung that neck and threw that thing down on the ground and it was as good as dead then. However, as you well know, uh, they flopped for a while. And sometimes I think, you know, if we look honestly at the church today, just because a church is actively, you know, busy, you know, where there's things on the calendar, there's things to do, there's always something going on, activity, that's not a bad thing. But just because you have activity, that doesn't mean that the church is alive. It could mean that it's dead. And so Jesus says here, be alert, strengthen what remains, remember what you received and heard, keep it and repent. Um, Sardis, uh, I like what one commentator says, he says, let us make no mistake about Sardis. She is not what the world would call a dead, a dead church. Perhaps even by her sister churches, she's considered live. Indeed, since Christ tells her to wake up and warns her that his that he's coming to judge her will be quite unexpected. It seems that she herself is not aware of her real spiritual state. All regard her as a flourishing, active, successful church except Christ. And perhaps that's so. You know, the reputation was, man, we've got a great church. And Christ says, you're almost dead. Okay? And so that's, that's definitely concern. Uh, now, there's no... As you read Revelation 3, 1 through 6, there's no pinpoint specific cause as to why the church is dying. 
I mean, we could surmise, we could guess, but we really don't know. Uh, the point is, when you go to the doctor and he says you have cancer, you might want to know how you got cancer, but the most important question you want to know is what is he going to do about it, okay? What are you going to do about it? And here Jesus is saying, you know, uh, I know your works and you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. It doesn't matter how you got there. What matters is, hey, God, can you do something? Can you help us? You know, what can you do and what do we need to do? And so it's going to be forward thinking here. And so he says in verse 2, be alert. Uh, obviously, have your eyes wide open. Uh, be alert. Be aware that the Lord is coming back. Uh, be ready and strengthen what remains. Uh, the verb strengthen there. Um, you know, just like the uh, city failed years ago uh, when they were captured by Cyrus, they, they were not alert. They did not post a guard. They did not stay awake. They did not um, focus on taking care of things that needed to be taken care of. And as a result, they were captured. Well, we need to be alert and we need to strengthen what is remain. Um, and that's the mistake that they made in their military. And he's saying to the church, don't make that same mistake. Remember, uh, he says, remember and uh, keep. Hang on, I lost my place there. Um, remember, verse 3, what you've received and heard, keep it and repent. Yes. So God had given them the deposit of the gospel. They had heard the good news about Jesus. They believed it. And their purpose was to live that out and share it with others and to hold fast to it, to, to keep it, to guard it and pass it on uh, and to repent if they weren't doing that. Um, I like what Herschel Hobbes said. Herschel Hobbes said, rather than formalism, a program for the program's sake, they were to capture their former spirit of life in observing, guarding, and passing on to others the gospel they had received. The church had taken on the attitude of the city. Now, this is important. The church had taken on the attitude of the city. The Christians were sleeping the sleep of death, reveling in their former greatness, but they were not preserving and passing it on to others. Um, you know, they say that we tend to talk about whatever we got the most of. Uh, when, we, when we've got a lot in front of us, we talk about the future. When we got a lot behind us, we talk about the past. But here... Um, they are stuck and they are on life support and they are about to die. Jesus explains the gravity of the situation in verse 3. If you are not alert. In other words, if you don't heed the warning, if you don't start waking up, if you don't start looking around, if you don't start making some adjustments and some changings, uh, then I will come like a thief and you will have no idea what I will come upon you. You know, the idea of a thief. Uh, many times when I read what Christ teaches about the second coming, there's two metaphors that jump out at me, okay? One is he says he'll come like a thief. And then the other metaphor he uses is he says that um, it's kind of like uh, birth pains. Uh, when a woman's in labor and the birth pains, you know that the baby is near. And so it is with Jesus. You know, you see the signs. And as, the, as his return gets closer, I believe you're going to see the signs more frequently and more intense, and you are to be ready. Well, guess what? If we're believers, we're going to notice the signs, 
and we're going to anticipate His return and we're going to be prepared, we're going to be ready. But for those who aren't prepared, that aren't ready for the Lord to come back, He's going to come like a thief. He's going to come when you least expect it. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a rude awakening because had you known when the thief was going to come, you would have been prepared for it. But as a result, you were unprepared. So He came like a thief. And so Jesus says, if you're not alert, then I will come like a thief. I will come at a time that you do not know. Um, But it's easy for us to be critical of Sardis. You can say, man, this church is dead. However, Jesus is very clear here in verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that faithful remnant? I mean, you can go back as far as you want to in the Old Testament. You remember Elijah. I know I told a story about Elijah last week, and I'll refer to Elijah again tonight. But you'll remember Elijah when he had that showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Before that, he or after that, he, he ran away. Remember Jezebel threatened his life, and he, he, he ran away. He went to the mountain of God. And the Lord took care of him. And finally, you know, after the Lord ministering to him and taking care of him, he had a big powwow with God. And basically he said, you know, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the, I'm the only prophet. I'm the only man trying to live for you. I'm the only one left. And God says, oh, no, you're not. And I forgot the number he, he mentioned, but he listed uh, X amount of people who, who had refused to bow the knee to Baal. In other words, God knows those who are His, and there's always that faithful remnant uh, that are faithful to God in every generation, no matter how bad it gets out there in the world. And here is Sardis. No matter how sleepy the church is, no matter how close to dying the church is, there are a few people in the midst that are faithful. They have not defiled their clothes. And He says, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy and the lord knows that and he notices that and that's cool and so we are told to be ready for the lord's return Um, notice in verse 5 and 6 the promise from christ he says in the same way the one who conquers or who overcomes will be dressed in white clothes and i will never erase his name from the book of life but will acknowledge His name before my Father and before His angels. Now we know that uh, those who are saved, their name is in the Lamb's book of life. We'll find that out later in the book of Revelation. Here we have that assurance of our salvation because here He says, I will never erase His name from the book of life. Isn't that good? I'm glad of that, aren't you? I'm glad that when my name goes into the book of life, He doesn't write it in pencil and say, well, let's watch him. If he really messes up, we're going to erase him out. I am so glad he doesn't do that. Uh, We have the assurance of our salvation because not only are, are our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but he assures us by saying, I will never erase your name from the Book of Life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. That is so awesome to me. Now, notice here, A couple of things about the promise of Christ. One is being dressed in white clothes. Uh, The white clothes emphasize purity, dignity, and victory. 
They signify eternal life uh, to those who know Him. Um, then you've got the, the name. Uh, by the way, talking about the name not being erased from the book of life, the book of life is mentioned five other times in the book of Revelation. Okay, Five other times in the book of Revelation. Uh, chapters 13, 17, and then 20 is twice and 21, but it's there. And it contains the names of believers who are written in it, who know Christ. And so that's, that's an assurance that we have. Um, and then he says, he says that I will acknowledge their name before my Father and before His angels. The last part of verse 5. That reminds me of a couple of sayings of Jesus Himself in Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Okay, there's the acknowledge before my Father in heaven part. And then in Luke 12, verse 8, Jesus said, And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. And so you see... You see in those two verses, Matthew 10, 32, Matthew, or Luke 12, verse 8, you see those combined here in Revelation 3, verse 5, when it says that He will acknowledge our name before my Father and before His angels. And so that is definitely some assurance. So very quickly, we look at this, and we realize the church in Sardis, the picture of Christ is He is Lord, and he, he gives us His Spirit, the seven spirits of God. And the strength of the church is there are faithful few still there. But the problem is the church is almost spiritually dead. And He's commanding them to repent and wake up. And the promise is that they'll have a white robe or white clothes and their name will never be erased from the book of life and they'll be acknowledged before the Father and before His angels. Now, let's kind of look at this. Let's get practical for this. I forget. I forgot who said this. Uh, you know how it is. In a data-driven age, you know, you hear so much, you forget where you got it from. But um, I've been trying to keep my pulse on how COVID is not only affecting all of us lifestyle-wise, but also how it's affecting the church. And I forgot who said this, but this came out just a couple weeks ago, that one of the experts is saying, that about one in five churches in America, United States, in the next 18 months will close its doors because of COVID. One in five. Now, in case you're wondering, there's 300-something thousand Protestant, Protestant churches in the United States. We're talking about 60,000 churches in the next 18 months. Now, whether or not that will happen or not, I don't know, but the fact that it's a possibility, the fact that it's on the radar, that it's a threat, that it's a concern, that ought to get all of our attention, right? Well, Thom Rainer, and this is six years old, it goes back to 2014, Thom Rainer wrote a book a few years ago called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. He's done so much consulting through the years that he finally got to a point to where he saw patterns of churches that made bad decisions and they ultimately closed their doors. And he put together, he took the patterns, he put them together, he wrote a book called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. When you go and you find a church that dies, 
the question always, always is why or how did that happen? Well, he identified 11 symptoms of a dying church, and you can Google this, I'm sure. I'm going to give it to you in rapid fire. I, I don't want you to write them down. I just want you to take it in and kind of catch the picture that it's painting here. But Tom Rainer identified 11 symptoms of a dying church. The first one, the church refused to look like the community. Okay? The church refused to look like the community. Number two, the church had no community-focused ministry. Okay? The church didn't look like the community, and it didn't, didn't have any kind of ministry for the community. Uh, number three, the members became more focused on memorials, things in the past. Uh, the percentage of the budget for members' needs kept increasing. There was no evangelistic emphasis. The members had more and more arguments about what they wanted as far as their preferences. With few exceptions, pastoral tenure grew shorter and shorter. The church rarely prayed together. The church had no clarity as to why they existed, what they were supposed to do. The members idolized another era, and the facilities continued to deteriorate. Now, you look at those, none of those are outlandish things, are they? But when you put all those things together, whoo, it puts the church in a weak position. And if they refuse to grow, if they refuse to change, if they refuse to wake up and make adjustments, they can sleep a slow but certain death. Now, Tom Rainer not only gives you the um, diagnosis, he gives you the prognosis. And so I don't want to uh, discourage you. I want to also, not only do I want to make you aware of the danger of a church dying, but I also want to uh, say, look, what can you do if you wake up and go, man, we got to do something, you know, before it's too late. Um, I love what Rick Warren used to say. He said there's three kinds of pastors. There's the undertaker, there's the caretaker, and there's the risk taker. <laughs> and nobody wants to be an undertaker. And a caretaker is good, but unless you're a risk taker, you're willing to realize the, the needs of the moment and make adjustments so that you can do God's will in this generation, then it's easy to go backwards rather than forwards. Now, Rainer does have a prognosis. Uh, he has a few things that a church can do at each stage of this deterioration. So I'll give you three of them very quickly. Uh, what about churches that are showing symptoms? Okay, you look at those 11 things and you go, oh man, I see a few of those or I see a couple of those. Uh, what is the antidote? Well, get back into, into the community. Uh, break up the cliques. Um, he says, follow the money. In other words, start putting money where your, your mouth is and take specific action towards change. Um, the bottom line is letting the community know you're here and begin to build that bridge again. Can I tell you that in almost every church I've served, uh, I, I have noticed that the community has changed around the congregation. Uh, the last church where I served, there was a gentleman that said, Corey, let me tell you about our church. He says, he says, if you go back, and he told me how many years you could go back. He says, if you could go back X number of years, you could come in on a Sunday morning. And at that time, they, their old sanctuary had two, two pews, okay? The new one had, had three, 
sections like this, but the old one had two sections of pews with an aisle down the middle. He says, you come on a Sunday morning back in that era, and he says, every seat was full. He says, not only that, you began to walk down the aisle, and you look at the pew, a family, a family, a family. In other words, all, all of them were families, and the whole family came together. Matter of fact, he says, there was only two ladies in the church whose husbands didn't come, he says one because she was a widow and the other one because her husband wasn't saved. And he says over a period of several months, the men got together, they prayed for that man and won him to Jesus. And then he says, but today it's just different. He says now all the people have moved off and now it's just different. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Things have changed. Uh, communities change much faster many times than churches do. And so it's always hard to build that bridge to the community because the needs can change so fast. What about churches that are sick or very sick? In other words, we've talked about churches that have symptoms, but what about churches that are very sick? Uh, the important thing then is to acknowledge where the church is headed and be willing to do whatever it takes to turn things around. Get radical if you have to. I mean, make some changes and prepare to become a new church. Um, one thing that I'm praying about, I've shared this with the church council, let me share this with you. But one thing I'm praying about, I had read a, a book written by a guy from the North American Mission Board a year ago, and they were talking about church fostering and church adoption. I didn't know what that was. I'm like, huh? I mean, we all know what foster parents are, and we also know what adoption is. But when you put that kind of language in the context of the church, you have to go, what are you talking about? The leaders of our own Southern Baptist Convention now are starting to promote this. Here's the idea. Remember what I said a while ago about possibly one in five churches in the United States in the next 18 months could close their doors? That doesn't necessarily surprise the leaders of our denomination. Let me tell you why. Unfortunately, Christianity has been going down in our country for the past few years. Okay, Even denominations are downsizing. And uh, it's obvious, and you can look at the facts if you want to. It's not something we want to talk about. I know it's not something we want to focus on. But it's true. It's kind of the monkey in the room, or the big gorilla in the room. What has happened with COVID... Many times when you have a crisis, it's not that it changes things, it reveals things, and it accelerates things. For instance, in retail, okay? In retail, those stores and restaurants that weren't doing well prior to COVID, if they didn't adjust to the new reality, guess what? They went out of business, okay? The crisis accelerated the problem. In the American church today, you're seeing the same thing. A crisis like COVID is accelerating what was slowly happening anyway. Those churches that are going to die are going to die quicker now. Okay, And so, like I said, it's not something we want to think about or talk about, but it's something that's necessary. So what about fostering and what about adoption? The nomination is praying that God would raise up pastors and churches in our convention that will be willing to reach out to small, struggling, dying churches and come alongside them and help them. 
Now, we're not talking about giving them money and throwing money at the problem, hoping that fixes it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about coming alongside, praying with them, praying for them, and sh you know, showing them how to take steps to minister to the people in their community. Now more than ever, the church has got to start thinking like a missionary. Matter of fact, I know that the Tennessee Baptist Convention changed their name to the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board a few years ago. Georgia did the same thing. It used to be the Georgia Baptist Convention. They're the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Uh, I'm not saying Kentucky will do the same, but I'm just saying there are some trends in our country that show that. And so if we can get ahead of the curve, if we can anticipate, hey, Houston, we got a problem, and we began to wake up and say, man, if we don't change the trajectory here, we're going the wrong way and do whatever it takes. Now, a positive example of this in our community is Cornerstone Baptist Church. Maybe you're familiar with the story. It used to be Buena Vista, right? And I forget what the name of the other congregation is. Pardon me, I can't remember. Faith United, maybe? I, I don't know. But anyway, there were two churches that were struggling, and they reached out, and uh, you know they had people come around them and kind of work with them and pray with them, and they kind of got together, and they began to talk, and they began to pray, and two struggling churches actually got together and became one church, and they renamed it Cornerstone Baptist. And so that is a positive example uh, of how churches can come together and, and do all kinds of things. Now, let's move, move on for a minute. We talked about churches that are showing symptoms, what they can do. We talked about churches that are very sick, what they can do. Here's the, here's the part nobody wants to talk about, but you're going to hear more about this in the future. What about churches that are terminally ill? They're on life support. They're down to just a few people. And unless they do something fast, it's going to be too late. I know that the, um, the lady that used to do my taxes in Tennessee, she went to a very small country church and asked her one day, I said, well, tell me a little bit about the church. And she goes, well, she says, we have about 25 people. I and somebody else are the only people under 80 that attend. And in, in about two or three more funerals, we're going to close the door and that'll be it. That's, that's tough, isn't it? Um, that is a picture of a church that's terminal. It's on its last leg. What should a church like that do? The, 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 the recommendations that Rainer has is sell the church and help a young growing church, donate the building to another church, uh, turn the church over to uh, another Christian group, or even merge with another church. Uh, the whole idea is you have a property and a place that's been used for kingdom purposes and a godly purpose. Reclaim that somehow, some way. <clears throat> you know, I think that we need to pray about the opportunities that are gonna that we're gonna have in our midst. You see, um, multi-site churches are becoming more and more of a thing. And as more and more churches close their doors, there's going to be fewer lighthouses in our county, in our community. I think you have seen the power of technology. Um, there is so much 
changing so fast that it's like the new Wild West frontier. And I think we need to be open to how we as a body of Christ can minister to our community, our setting in ways that perhaps we've never even thought of before. Okay? Well, I've said a lot. I guess I'm about done. But uh, consider this lesson tonight what I used to call food for thought. Okay? Food for thought. Think about what Christ would say to our church. Um, if we were not doing the things that He wants us to do, how can we wake up? How can we be alert? How can we strengthen what remains and make sure that the church thrives and doesn't die? My personal challenge to all of us tonight is will you heed the warning to avoid the path toward death and remain faithful to the One who's given us life? Well, let's pray. Father, we come before You tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time together. Thank you for this word from the word. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Lord, help us to wake up. Help us to do the things you've called us to do and strengthen what remains that we might be faithful until you come again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.